You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So after the service, we came out for prayer, and I came out here. I was standing, and after a while, I had to kneel down. But I'm like, God, I can't live like this. I just, I just need healing. I'm not going back to the doctor. You have to heal me. So after that, the prayer, <laughs> the night, I'm like, okay. Hmm. I did not feel any burning pain anymore. I sat down there. You know, we went back home. The night, the next morning, <laughs> I told my husband, hey, it looks like this burning pain is gone. But let me wait <laughs> for a week. <laughs> let me wait and make sure. You know, and it's past a week and a weekend. And I'm like, Jesus, I need to tell about this. God is faithful. He still heals those that believe. So good. Thank you, Ezzy. Thanks for bearing with me. I call that a sovereign healing because no one laid their hands on her. It's just the presence of God in a place. And we see that in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, where it was someone either just touching the garment of Jesus or in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, someone would just come in within reach of a shadow of one of the apostles and they'd be healed. And we believe and we're trying to cultivate a culture of expectation and faith for God to heal bodies and make, uh, make things right in people's lives. That, that just requires a miracle. So I just, we had to highlight that. On top of that, we wanna, I want to announce something that we're starting on our website. We've created a page now. Uh, we just got it underway this last week to highlight testimonies like that. And we've, we've already uh, put, put a bunch of on, posted a bunch of testimonies on there that we've, we've collected over the last number of weeks and months. Um, and so if you have a, a story to share, I would encourage you to go on our website, and you'll see it right on our homepage. You'll see a little a tab that says testimonies. Click on there. You can build your faith by reading other people's testimonies and stories of encountering the Lord and God's provision in their life across the, you know, across the spectrum of ways in which God has intervened in, intervened in people's lives. But if, also, if you have a story to share, a testimony of how God has moved in your life, we would love to just fuel and feed this culture of expectation and faith that God is alive and well and he's working in our lives, um, we can be a body together. Amen? I want to also just highlight uh, those equipping nights that are taking place the next two weeks, October 7th and October 14th, because that's something we've never done before. And so this is why we're passionate about it, because we see at our church that there's a big difference between attending and actually being the body. There's a big difference. We need you to function in your place, in your role in the body of Christ for us to represent Jesus really well in our city. So we believe in that. We don't believe in just attending on a Sunday morning or attending a program. We believe in people being activated in ministry. Along with that reason, we read Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about the roles of the church. And it says, God has given us apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to do what? To equip the saints. For the work of the ministry. So you all are workers for the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's not just some professional ministers that we do all the work for, for the ministry. But no, us together, we represent Jesus really well. So we see those nights as being really strategic and us feeling that culture of equipping people for ministry in and through our church. So come, come expectant. We won't take a ton of your time. But all our team leaders are working really hard to make those nights Fun, engaging, and jam-packed with really good stuff. So come next Sunday night if you're serving with kids. October 14th if you're serving with 
uh, media, security, or uh, the welcome team come the 14th. So, good stuff? Awesome. If you have your Bibles, we can open up to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 12. This morning I want to talk about how family matters. That's the title of my message is Family Matters. Does anybody remember that sitcom from the 90s, Family Matters? Steve Urkel and the, the Winslow clan. Yeah, you guys remember that one? Well, this message this morning has nothing to do with that at all. But it's been on the top of my notes all week long, so I've been thinking about Steve Urkel all week long. It's simply a catchy title, but the message that family matters in the kingdom of God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is supposed to mean something within the four walls of our homes. And if it doesn't, we're missing something. And so I want everybody in this place, regardless of the season of life in which you are in, to leave this place with a conviction in their hearts that you, if you live in a home, there's four walls and a roof over your head, you can set the tone and the atmosphere of going after God in your home. Family matters. And if you've made a commitment to Christ, if you say, yes, I've had an encounter with Jesus as my Savior, that should mean something to the way in which we live life in the four walls of our homes. So last week we talked about how Monday matters. Hopefully you guys had an amazing week. Some uh, just God moments on Mondays. Anybody just have an awesome week? No. Okay, we got three, three and a half maybe. Okay, four, great. Um, Monday matters. If you missed last week, you can uh, find it online on our podcast. But the gospel is supposed to mean something for Mondays as well. God didn't just come to redeem one day of the week. He didn't just come to redeem mankind and put a few holidays on the calendar, God came to redeem humanity in such a way that it means something for seven days a week, Monday through Saturday as well. So Monday matters, but that also means that family matters. The life we live with those that are closest to us, and the stuff of life. I grew up in the church, and we were a family that we were in the church anytime the doors were open. Saturday morning for prayer meeting, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then all the extracurriculars in between. We were there. At the same time, I grew up in a broken home. I've shared my story before. I'm not going to go into a lot of that this morning. I grew up with friends, though, through elementary and middle school and high school. We grew up together in those environments, in church together, but then also in a whole spectrum of family life experiences. I remember one friend specifically, he was actually a pastor's kid, a pastor's son. I'll just call him Luke for his own uh, um, safety and security. Um, but his name is Luke, and Luke and I, we grew up together in elementary and middle school, and we, we hung out. There's a couple of summers, we, we hung out almost every single day. He was a couple of years older than me. But I remember as we got into middle school, that's really where I began to hang out with him a little more often, he began to share about his home life. He's a pastor's kid. Keep that in mind. He began to share about how his, how his dad, specifically on his days off, he'd mope around the house, kind of in this depressive state, kind of sulking around the house. And it'd be hard to get him away from the TV. He'd be glued to the TV. If, he, if, you know, if, he, if he's in the home, he'd be in front of the TV. How oftentimes their, their home was, was really tightly wound with just emotional um, shouting and just this um, tightly wound family emotionally. And for him, I began to watch him at the same time, really begin to grow this confusion in the things of God and begin to really walk away from God. And still to this day, that's why I protect his identity. He's a friend. I love him. 
There's so much that happens in the home that can cause others to really question the reality and the presence of God. But at the same time, it's not just the negative. At the same time, when we're intentional and we really are purposeful with the calling that's on each one of our lives to set a tone and an atmosphere in our homes, the opposite can happen as well which is the reality and the power and the love of Jesus can almost be palpable, t- tangible. And I remember one situation, even though I grew up in a broken home, alcoholism and, and lots of fighting, there was an authenticity that specifically my dad carried in the midst of that, because I'm, what I'm not talking about this morning is perfection. I'm not talking about some sort of uh, superficial mask and uh, perfection that we're trying to pull off in our homes. But there's an authenticity and a genuineness to it that I want us to contend for. And, and my dad carried that humility in his walk with Jesus. And I remember one specific situation. My mom passed away when I was seven years old. She took her own life because of alcoholism. But around the age of five or six, my parents were in and out of the house. Either my mom would be kicked out of the house or my dad would be kicked out of the house. Well, this was an instance where my dad was in the home and my mom was out of the house. I remember walking down the hallway of our duplex in Fargo, North Dakota, walking down the hallway, and, and my, my dad's door was cracked open. I remember opening up the door and seeing my dad there, knelt on the bedside, crying out to Jesus for our family. He looked up at me with tears in his eyes, and he said, Drew, I'm praying for mom. Do you want to pray with me? And I remember going down there and just sitting next to him. I'm five or six years old. And I don't know how to pray. I'm a five or six-year-old. But as I sit there, I get a front row seat at what it looks like for a man of God to go after God, to pray prayers of raw faith that God could do the miraculous. And God did do a miraculous work in our family. He really did. So we weren't a perfect family, but there's an authenticity and genuineness in my dad's faith that still to this day has stuck with me. And it was shortly after that that I really made the decision for myself as I watched my dad's faith that I'm going to go after Jesus. And that's what I'm contending is possible for us to create in our homes, is an authentic pursuit of the things of God. So here's our main idea before we look at this text. Romans, in Romans chapter 12, this is our main idea, that lifestyle Christianity is seen in the home. And it has to be seen in the home or else it's bankrupt. There's a massive problem. We're missing something if it's not seen and experienced in the home. And then on top of that, it's reflected outside of the home. There is a ripple effect. There is a, there's an impact that what happens in the home will flow out of the home one way or another. And so lifestyle Christianity, there's something you're sowing into as well. When you really go after lifestyle Christianity in the home, it's seen there and it's experienced and it's reflected out of the home. There's a fruit that's bore from that place. So let's look at Romans chapter 12. We were here last week... Uh, the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, how many of you were challenged to think differently this week? We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our minds are part of the old us, and they're still here, and so we need to be transformed by allowing our thinking to change, to think about God more accurately, to think about ourselves. Remember, we, t- we talked about not self-esteem, but God-esteem. This is not just a, a, a positivity self-help program. This is renewing our minds in alignment with who God created us to be through Jesus Christ. So we're going to skip verses 3 through 8. I kind of highlighted that, honestly, through the equipping nights. We need you to be the body of Christ. Together, we're the body of Christ. But in the context of this series, 
We're going to jump down to verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. That is true agape love. True love of God. Love for God, love for people that's genuine it's authentic. It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Is anybody competitive in this place? Yeah, I'm really competitive. And I think some competition can be good and godly. But here he gives us some, a game you can play in your home. Let's outdo one another in showing honor to one another. Who can one-up the other person? That is a fun game. And I challenge you to partake. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul describes here is lifestyle Christianity. And he's not exclusively talking about these being applied in the home, but I I have to say they have to apply to the home as well. Our love being genuine, this fierce sense of righteousness that we abhor evil and we, we cling to what is good, that we love one another with brotherly affection, that we show honor in such an extravagant way that it seems like it's a competition that we're fervent in spirit and that we serve the Lord, that there's this consistency and constant um, lifting up of prayer to the Lord. These are descriptions of lifestyle Christianity that I believe readily apply to the home. And so I want us to unpack these this morning. There's four ways in which I want to just highlight this text. One, One is this idea, that fathers and mothers are on the front lines of setting this tone of, of, um, creating this atmosphere of lifestyle Christianity where the entire family, young and old, begin to understand that our Christian faith is not just a doctrinal or creedal adherence or a a sociological group that we associate with, a category on our social media, but instead our faith is part of who we are because of a person that we encountered. There's a huge shift that takes place in a home when fathers and mothers step into their role on the front lines as being pace setters, as being leaders, as being influencers, that we set the tone. And before you begin to discount yourself, if you're here in this place and you are a father and a mother or a parent and you're in the season where your house is full of kids, you'll readily cling to everything I'm, I'm uh, or track with everything that I'm speaking this morning, but I don't want anybody to be left behind this morning. If you're here this morning and you're in the season of being an empty nester, I want to tell you that you have not been abdicated of your responsibilities. You have not been uh, exempt from living out lifestyle Christianity, even in this season. If you're here in this place and you are a college student or you're single in this place, this is still relevant to you. 
One, you have extended family that has a front row seat at your faith, looking in and peering into your life. Beyond that, you have younger people. If you're here and you're hearing my voice, you have younger people that you can begin pouring into. You can be a father and a mother to them as you take them under your wing. This is relevant to everybody in this place. And parents are on the front lines. They become the, really the first glimpse of godly authority, if we allow it to be that, in our, in our kids' lives. They, that, that leaves a real impression of what it looks like to walk in authority in a godly way. He says, let love be genuine. Parents can exude this genuine love that makes an impact in kids' lives, younger people's lives. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. He says, don't be slothful. Be fervent. There's this, that, that sense of pace setting. We're out in front. We're leading the charge. We're not being, waiting to be motivated by the younger ones in our family, but instead we're getting out in front. We're saying, follow our lead. We're going after Jesus. We're going after big things with our lives. We got one life to live. Kids look on. They're like, wow, our parents are really going after something. Constant in prayer. This weekend, we um, had the opportunity to, a group of us men got the opportunity to go to man camp. There's a lot of grunting, a lot of beards. Like all the men with beards sign up for, for man camp. It's so funny. Um, we got to do a lot of fun stuff. We got to go zip lining, although I opted out of that. And uh, we d- did rock climbing. I did do that. And I shot some guns. We, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we experienced the Lord as well. It's so good for men to get away and experiencing, experience something together and to encourage one another and build each other up. It's such a great weekend. But something stuck out, or stuck out to me from our Friday night uh, worship gathering. The speaker just imparted to us, and I want to pass it on to you all. Genesis chapter 35, he told, he told the story of Jacob and the birth of his last son, Benjamin. And uh, this came, yeah, that's right, Benjamin. He came to, came to their family through his, his wife that he loved so much, Rachel. This was his high school sweetheart, the love of his life, Rachel. But in, during childbirth, it ended up taking Rachel's life, if you recall the story at all. And it was like her last word, her last request, the love of his life, Rachel, spoke out and said, his name shall be Ben-Onai. Ben-Onai means son of suffering, son of pain. It was like that was her plea of agony because it's taking her own life. That's what she feels. She's just kind of saying it like it is. And Jacob doesn't so much put her down for saying that. He loves her so much, and he himself is grieving the fact that he's losing his wife. But he, he steps into that role as the pace setter and the leader the one out in front and says, no, his name's not going to be Ben-Anai. No, that's your last dying request. His name is going to be Benjamin, which means son of longevity or son of promise. He, he stepped into that role, even in the midst of his own uh, struggle, his own grief, and he said, no, I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak encouragement upon this son of mine. And we have that opportunity as parents to choose to set the tone, to set the atmosphere that changes the trajectory of a family. It changes the trajectory of a kid's life. We have that opportunity. And I just want to, I want more and more people that are part of our church community to leave any of our gatherings with a deeper conviction that it's not somebody else's responsibility, but it's your responsibility. 
You set the tone. You go out in front. You go after Jesus. You be fervent in spirit. You be constant in prayer. That is, that's what Paul is speaking to us. And remember, I highlighted the context of Romans chapter 12 last week. That he, for 11 chapters, set the theological foundation of the gospel from the depravity and brokenness of man, the grace of Jesus, to uh, the, the daily life of a believer internally through life of the Spirit, to the role of Israel and us being grafted into Israel, to this place in Romans chapter 12. And he says, because of all of that, be different. Lay your lives down as a living sacrifice to Jesus. That's true worship. That's true lifestyle Christianity. And so it is in our homes. It should mean something to our homes. We have an opportunity, and we all are in different seasons in that. I'm in that season where my kids still think I'm cool. I don't know when I move on from that, but I, I remember I always, had, I always thought my dad was pretty awesome, but I do remember, so after my mom passed away, my dad remarried a woman, an amazing woman, who had three kids of her own, so we became the Brady Bunch. And there were, there were seven of us kids, and so my parents just had to make it worse by going out and buying a 15-passenger van. So that was, that was our family. And I do remember feeling a little embarrassed. And my older siblings were probably even a little uh, you know, more relentless with, with voicing their concerns about that. But I'm not, I'm not there yet. My kids still think I'm cool. But whatever season in your, you're in, you have a role to play, to speak into your kids' lives with authority, with influence. And I just encourage you in that. I commission you with that. What an amazing opportunity each and every one of us has. Second is this, integrity first, influence second. We're going to flip the values of the world on head. The world is all about popularity and role and title first, platform, audience first, and then we'll try to figure out, make sure we can manage it. Let's make sure you know, we can keep everything in the guardrails. After the fact, after we're in the, the position of authority, the kingdom is different. The kingdom is integrity first, rooting ourselves in Christ and a consistency in Christ. Really, that word integrity just means consistency, thoroughness. It's not about being perfect. It's about having a resolve to be disciplined and consistent in our faith. So here in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12 he says, don't curse your enemies. Those in our family, those that live life with us in the four walls of our home, they get a front row seat at what we do and how our, what our response is to those that wrong us. When our enemies curse us, what is our response? Is it to throw back cursing? Is it to try to get back and get even? And he, he spends a good deal of time talking about the vengeance of the Lord and as a, as a believer, how we can release those things to God. That's integrity. He says, don't be haughty. There's this sense of ego and pride and lording over those in our family, your positions and your rights. How we associate with the lowly, he says. He says, associate with the lowly. That's just good for your soul. When you see that as integrous, that's a, that's a sign of your character when you can be no respect or respecter of persons, but instead you treat everyone in the same way, and our kids, they take note of that. Our families, our spouses, they, they take note of, of you playing games with different people in different ways, playing favorites and overlooking those in need. Our faith should translate even to the lowly, overcoming evil with good. 
I believe that respect from those closest in our lives is of the greatest value. Those that have the, the front row seat peering into our lives, when they respect you, you, you know you're beginning to mature in your faith. You know, you know you've encountered something authentic in Christ when the people that are closest to you actually, uh, actually live with a respect for you. Not because you're perfect, again. I believe, I mean, even my son, I'm, I'm trying to teach him how to, how to say sorry. And that when you, when you say sorry, you're not even necessarily admitting fault. You're just airing a sense of humility. That either you're sorry for the way the person's feeling or you're, you're sorry that this is happening to you. But even when you do do something wrong, you, you have the, will, you have the, um, the boldness and the, the integrity to take ownership of what you've done and to apologize. That's integrity. Before I stepped into this role as lead pastor, I had the opportunity to uh, work at our district office. So for our movement of the Assemblies of God here in Iowa, there's, a, there's an office down in Des Moines that oversees 120 churches and 450 ministers. And I had the opportunity of, of officing out of that um, district office for three years as the, the director of our, our campus ministries across the state. And so I had the opportunity of working under our superintendent. This man who served the Lord, walked with the Lord for a long time, and from a distance I've had a, a lot of respect for him. Uh, I've, I've seen him as a man of God and, and a man who walks in godly authority. But as you know, and you begin to work in an office environment, you get a, a little, you've kind of moved up a, a few rows, and you get a closer look into their life. And I remember being blown away the first year or two specifically as I got to a, a closer relationship with this man. His name, Tom, his, his name is Tom Jacobs. I remember being amazed at how as I walked and, and uh, got to know him better, how I walked away with a greater respect for him. And how oftentimes that's, that's really rare. Sadly, that's rare. Oftentimes when you work with leaders and you get closer to them and you peer more into their lives, it's like you kind of want a, a distance. You're like, I wish it was the old way. I didn't know as much about their life. But with Pastor Tom, it was different. Again, he was not perfect, but as I peered into his life and he spoke encouragement into my life and we developed a closer relationship, I was amazed the respect that I had for him because of the authenticity that he had in his faith in Jesus Christ. A few, and a few things that just have stuck with me is the fact that one-on-one, -on -one, who am I? I mean, I'm just a young punk and at that time in my late 30s and we'd be one-on-one -on -one and he'd be sharing his testimony of how he first encountered Christ. And still to this day, 50, him late in his 50s, he'd still have tears running down his face as he's sharing with me the story of how he first came to know Christ. And he'd talk about what, you know, the, the mission that we have before us of reaching the lost across our state. And it'd, be, it'd move him. He's such a passionate man that lives out of conviction and lives out of values. And that's integrity. When we live from conviction and values, so lifestyle Christianity, in the home, we, we highlight and we value integrity first. And you'll see your influence grow as you cultivate integrity, as you desire to see your foundation firm in the Lord. Thirdly is this, living rooms are sacred rooms. Living rooms are sacred rooms. 2,000 years ago, the veil was torn. Jesus tore it top to bottom. You know, indicating the beginning of a new age. Before, we had to go through a, some, some mediator. 
And to go to, go to the tabernacle, go to the tent of meeting, go to, the, go to the temple to experience the presence of God. Well, the veil was torn through the power of Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, but his presence can also come amongst us. And we see that in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit would just fill a room. And I want to contend that our living rooms can be sacred rooms. And lifestyle Christianity becomes living room Christianity. When you begin to see that, oh, yes, we can be fervent in spirit, and that means that I don't just muster up some emotions on Sunday morning, but fervent in spirit means that I have the tenacity and the passion to go after Jesus, even in my living room. And being constant in prayer really means being constant in prayer. That means we can turn off the television for 10 or 15 minutes to get on our knees as a married couple or gather the kids around and say, hey, let's pray for just a few minutes. The kids may be scratching their heads. I know. Some of this, is, some of this might give your kids whiplash. But that's good. Hey, we're going to pray. And they'll be like, what? We're going to do what? Yeah, we're, we're just going to pray for 10 minutes. You don't have to be overly intense. You know, you don't have to try to muster something up. Just be authentic and say, we're going to pray as a family. We're going to set Jesus in his proper place in our home. That can calm right there in the living room. I remember reading a story just this week in our um, Bible reading plan as a church. In Luke chapter 4, the story is told about how Jesus went, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, how he went from the synagogue. He says he immediately went to Peter's house. The synagogue was regarded as a place. That's where scripture is read and there are prayers that are, that are said to the Father. That, that could be seen as a sacred place. It says he went right from there and immediately to Peter's house. And it was at Peter's house that Peter's mom was ill. So you know what Jesus said. He said, well, let's get Peter's mom, you know, let's, let's lift her up and let's get her to the synagogue so we can get her healed. That's not what he said. No, he rebuked the fever from her body right there in the living room. He rebuked the fever. And she got up and he said, well, let's, let's hang out then. Let's hang out. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's hang out. And she, she ends up making a meal for them. They begin hanging out and other people begin gathering there because they hear the power of God being unleashed in that home. Living rooms are sacred rooms. And you can begin to believe that. You can begin to experience that. I would say in me and Tanya's short 11 years now of marriage that some of the highlights of our married time have been in our living room prayer meetings. You turn some music on or you don't turn some music on either way. And you just wait on the Lord together. That, that's such a gift to a, to a marriage. That's such a gift to, to your home and the atmosphere around your home. That, even that small step of your living room being a place where the presence of God is welcome, that, can, that alone can change the tone and the atmosphere in your home, the environment of your home. Might, that might help you think more critically about the things you let into your home and the things you watch and and even when people come into your home, how you see that as an opportunity for ministry. You can speak words of encouragement to them. You can pray over them in your living room. Even hospitality, you realize in Romans chapter 12 here, he highlights hospitality. That is ministry. That's lifestyle Christianity. When you open up your home and you offer somebody a cup of coffee, you do it in the name of the Lord and God can show up because coffee is awesome. I had a newer person this weekend at man camp questioned me about the coffee culture at our church. And, you know, I've been here for seven years. I guess I didn't know we had a coffee culture, but it was, it was really insightful. 
and I apologize, it's not because it's in the Bible in, in any place ever. I'm not going to ever say that, but we do enjoy coffee. I do believe it's good for the soul. I do believe it's good for relationships and community. Uh, that's as far as I'll go with that. Coffee's good. Um, last week, I got to hang out with a, a Chi Alpha alum, and, and he was a student that graduated a couple years ago. Now he and his wife are up in Minneapolis, and they've they found a church that they're really excited about, and they're jumping in. He was talking about how they, they've found a small group to be a part of and how they, they've gone to one, and the atmosphere was just so rich right there in somebody's living room. And that was the segue into him sharing what he said was one of the most impactful uh, aspects of his four years here at Iowa State in Chi Alpha. As he said, Drew, you know, one of the most impactful things about my time in Chi Alpha was, was actually our, our living room prayer meetings that took place at your house. We called them encounter nights. And it spilled out of the living room because there were students in the, in the dining room and in the kitchen kind of all over the, the main floor of our old house over on Northwestern. But there was just such an atmosphere of hunger for the Lord and prayer and worship. Many, many of these students never having experienced that sort of rich uh, spiritual environment before, that it stuck with them. That's how simple this genuine love for Jesus is supposed to be. You know, all the, the pomp and the circumstance and uh, ceremonial stuff that comes along with the religion, that gets all the attention all the time. But what about living room Christianity? That lifestyle Christianity that even translates to our living rooms. Last thing is this, if you realize we're, we're, we're spelling family because it worked out. Last is this, years of harvest should be expected. Years of harvest should be expected. When you set your heart and your mind on the significance of the family environment that you're creating and that your faith is supposed to translate to the family, what you're doing is you're sowing into years of harvest. You're planting a seed that's going to bear fruit for generations to come. We as Westerners, we don't often uh, see the significance of God being a God of the generations and God being a God that cares about all those genealogies. The Bible has all these lists of genealogies, and oftentimes as Westerners, we're just like scratching our heads, right? Like, why, why, why all these details of all these random people that I can't pronounce their names? Like, what's the deal? Because God is a God of generations, and He's writing a redemptive story that's passed on from one generation to the next. And when we get that deep in our souls, we can see the role that we play and that the role that we play doesn't just mean something here and now, but it means something for generations to come. And so you can actually, you can actually set the, the tone in such a way that it's a detraction for the generation to come, that they're actually set at a deficit than what, what you received. God forbid that be what's said of any one of our lives. You can set the tone in this place of apathy and mediocrity where they're kind of at the same place that you received, and where, you, where you came into your faith in Christ. Or we can be intentional and fervent and purposeful. Our love can be genuine, just as we saw here in Romans 12. And we can set the tone in such a way that our ceiling becomes their floor, that the, the things that we were promising or that we were hoping for breakthrough in would be commonplace for the generation to come. That our extended family would experience more than what we experience in Christ. There's years of harvest. You will pass something on to the next generation. 
you will pass something on to those that live in close proximity to you. The question is, what are you gonna pass on to them? Like, what are they gonna get a glimpse of? Hopefully you're setting them up for something more. I'm a second generation believer. I, am so, I have such a strong conviction in my heart that for generations to come, the trajectory has been set and that we're going after Jesus. Five, six generations. Both my parents grew up in homes that did not know Christ. They grew up around religion. But it wasn't until their senior year of high school that my mom went to a tent meeting and for the first time she heard the good news of Jesus Christ and everything changed. Religion was like a, just a part of society, a part of the world in which we lived. And then she realized Jesus was a person and that meant something for her life. And it's in that humble tent meeting that everything changed. My mom grew up in a, a, a home of a drunk. Her father was a violent, angry drunk. He died just a few years ago. But you know what happened? My mom encountered Christ. She ended up leading my dad, who was her high school sweetheart, to the Lord. My mom was just so fired up for Jesus. She had really encountered something. She came home, and over a period of weeks and months, she began to have these conversations with her parents. That's right, this bold young high schooler, her angry, drunk father. Her, her, her grandpa died a drunk alcoholic, and now she's face-to-face with her dad and her mom, and she's sharing the love of Jesus with them. They both encounter Christ. All I ever knew as a kid was my grandparents knew Christ. That's because she was... She was willing to, to, to go in there and, and share the love of Jesus with them. Beyond that, she, she shared the love of Jesus with her sister. Her sister encountered Christ. The trajectory of a family changed. I don't know if that moves you. That's what I want so badly in my life. I'd set the tone for my kids in such a way that they're better off than even what I experienced. I'm so grateful. That's what I asked the worship team to do. I asked them to lead us in this song. It's called Thank You Song. We sang it during worship this morning. I just want you to have a moment to respond to God. I'm gonna come back up and I'm gonna lead us in a prayer response, but I want you to have an opportunity to respond. This applies to everybody in this place. If you have a home and a roof over your head, you, you are the controller of the tone and the atmosphere of your home. So this is an opportunity for you to respond to God, to make a commitment to him to say, God, I, I wanna make some changes. I wanna make the most of what you've placed before me. So I would just encourage you to do that right now. I'm gonna pray right now over you, then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, get off the stage. Lord, I pray right now over every heart, over every mind, for people that are making excuses, for people that are saying this is not applicable to them, for people that are on the edge of their seat and they're clinging to every word. I pray across the spectrum that you'd move in our hearts in such a way, in tangible ways you begin to reveal to us how we can begin to be the pace setters and the influences in our home. We can realize that our faith is supposed to mean something in our home. Give us that insight right now in your name. So just respond to the Lord in that way right now. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.